Just like we're something, like we're, we're, like we're royalty or something, and we really appreciate that. Y'all didn't have to go to such lengths, but y'all did, and we're very, very grateful. Amen. And I just want to share a short thought this morning. I know we're, I'm aware of what time it is. I just want to say what God's laid on my heart. And I want some soul to be touched and some soul to be affected. And while we're standing, if we can go ahead and turn in our Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have it, could you say amen? Amen. If you don't have it, just say, can you give me one more minute? (laughs) Amen. Amen. John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 10. John chapter 4, verse 3, and the Bible reads like this, And he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Amen. Can we stretch our hands to heaven today and ask that the Lord would speak to us through his word this morning, that it would touch our hearts and speak to us, and that we would apply it after we hear it. God, we need your Holy Spirit here today. Lord, we can't do nothing without that spirit. So would you come right now, Holy Ghost, and settle on us. Open our ears to hear what your word has to say. We have hungry hearts this morning, God. And Lord, let not this word fall on bad ground, but Lord, let it fall on good soil. Lord, that soil that's ready to receive, it's ready to hear, and it's ready to take root in it, God. And we ask all of this in your mighty, precious name this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And as you're seated this morning... I got a title for my message this morning. I usually don't. It's the first message I've ever had with a title. And as you're seated this morning, could you turn to your neighbor and give him my title and just ask him this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Amen. Amen. That was a question that both of these people here in John chapter 4, it was a question that each of them had for each other. It was a question that this woman at the well that Jesus came to meet, it was a question that she had for him because he was a Jew. She was wondering, what are you doing here being a Jew? Because the Jews, they didn't have dealings with the Samaritans. There were some racial differences there. There were some, some social oppositions that they had to get over, and they did not like each other at all. They were outcast and really, really estranged to one another. They didn't like each other. And so when, when Jesus of Nazareth, a Jew, shows up to Samaria at this well in the middle of the day, and this woman's there, she's wondering, what in the world is Jesus doing here? But Jesus asked her that same question, could have asked her that same question too. Because typically, the women would come in the cool of the morning when it wasn't so hot to come and draw water. 
But now there's a woman there at the middle, in the middle of the day drawing water when it's the most hot. What was this woman doing there? Have you ever felt out of place before? Like you just didn't belong. You really didn't know why you were there, and it was kind of weird, kind of awkward. Uh, yesterday, uh, Brother Sebastian was out there hitting golf balls, and I've never played golf in my life. Never swung a golf club. I played putt-putt before, but, you know, never swung a golf club. And so I tried to hit one, and it, it didn't go good at all. I don't think it would From me to the altar, I don't even think it made it that far. I was out of place, and there's, there's some awkwardness there. Or like when we were playing basketball, and I'm guarding Brother Caleb, and he's a foot taller than me. There's something. I don't belong there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey Amen. There was a time when I was two years old. My parents, they, are, they run a, a Christian school back in London, Kentucky, where I'm from. They run a Christian school. They were at an educator's convention. If anybody's familiar with ACE and what it is, they have educator's convention. While they were there, I was two years old. And, you know, like typical two-year-olds do, they get curious and they tend to wander off. Well, it just so happens on this day, I managed to figure out what the buttons on the elevator did. And I got away from my mom. And I made it over to the elevator, started hitting buttons, and I made my way down to the parking garage by myself at two years old. And as soon as I got down there, there was a security guard down there in the parking garage. And immediately, the first thought in his mind was, what are you doing here? <laughs> and why is a two-year-old getting off the elevator right now? There was something, something didn't add up. Something was out of place. Much like in this story, there's something that's out of place here. And why is Jesus at this well? Because the typical route was around Samaria. We see, but in the text, it says that he must needs go through Samaria. So the Jews, if they wanted to get from the northern part of Israel into the southern part of Judah, they had to either go through Samaria or take the long way around. And typically, that's what they would do. They would take the long way around because they didn't want to meet them. Like I said, there was some opposition there. They didn't like each other. And instead of taking the shorter way, which would have been more convenient, they allowed that prejudice in their heart to push them to do something that really inconvenienced them and take the long way around to get where they needed to go. But this day, Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. And I'm thankful because that's exactly what he did in my life. And I'm thankful that you can testify that it's exactly what it did in your, in your life. He didn't take the long way around. He came exactly to where you were. He didn't care what you were going through. He didn't care what was in your life. He had to get to you. He had to meet with you and put his grace down in your heart and save your soul. Because how many can say there was some junk that maybe some other people, when they wanted to get to know me, they had to navigate themselves around it. Some people, when they tried to get to know me before Jesus, they had to navigate around my pride. They had to navigate my, my sense of self-righteousness. They had to navigate that around me. But when Jesus came and found me, he said, I don't care about any of that. That doesn't bother me one bit. I'll walk right through your mess. I'll right, walk right through your sin, right through your junk to come exactly where you are because I've got an appointment and I've got to meet with somebody. Is there anybody that can say Jesus came and he met with me even when I wasn't living right, even when everything wasn't going like I thought it should have? He came and met with me because he had to. His heart was moved for us, and I'm so thankful for that. Amen. What was he doing there? Like I said, it was out of place. But like I said before, what was this woman doing there? 
What's this woman doing at the well in the middle of the day at the most inconvenient time? Because we learn later in the text that this woman was there because of some things in her life. She was looked down on in her city. Because the Bible tells us that she had already previously had five husbands and she was living with a man that wasn't even her own. So rather than face the shame and the rebuke of all the other women and come in the morning to draw water, she had gotten tired of that, gotten tired of the ridicule, gotten tired of the dirty looks. And so she came in the middle of the day when nobody was around to talk to her and where she could come and be alone all by herself. But that's exactly the moment that Jesus wanted to show up. He didn't care that other people have rejected her. He didn't care that other people felt the shame that she felt when she was around her and were embarrassed. He didn't care about that one bit. He was moved with compassion towards that woman, somebody who was illegitimate. He, didn't come, he came to save the Jews, and the Bible tells us that salvation was of the Jews. That was his ministry when he was here on earth. But he made his way around that to come to a Samaritan woman. And in fact, the first person that he ever revealed himself to be as the Messiah was this Samaritan woman. He had kept it a secret. People kind of started figuring out. But the first time he said, I am that Messiah, was to this little Samaritan woman at the well. Oh, hallelujah. Do you remember the first time when Jesus revealed himself like that to you? Oh, do you remember like that? Because here in the Bible, it says in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Somewhere in her learning, somewhere in their raising, even though the Samaritans were outcasts and they were looked down on, they still had a hope of the Messiah that was coming one day. That was something that they didn't let go of. They still had a hope that one day, that even though we're not allowed to go to that temple and worship, one day Messiah is going to come and he's going to straighten everything out. He's going to make it all better. He's going to make that road and lead us into all truth and lead us into all things. And she had held on to that hope. And then the Bible says when Jesus revealed himself, he said, I that speak unto thee am he. But if you read that in the Greek, it literally reads, I am the one that speaks to you. He introduced himself to that woman the same way that he introduced himself to the children of Israel over however many hundreds of years ago when he spoke to Moses on the backside of that desert. And he said, those people aren't going to believe me. They aren't going to believe what you told me to do. I don't think I can do it. Who am I even going to tell them that, I, that sent me? He said, tell them I am that I am sent you. He is all sufficient. He is all you need. Whatever he is, he, whatever you need, he is. He is that great I am. And he introduced himself to that woman that same way. Do you remember when he introduced himself to you? When you had a need in your life and you said, God, I need free of it. And I know I can't fight in yourself. He said, don't worry about it, son. Don't worry about it, daughter. I am. I am all sufficient because God, when he told that to Moses for the next 40 years, as they were wandering in that wilderness, he would begin to fill in that blank and he would need and they would need to know him as their water out of the rock. When they were thirsty, they were going to need to know him as their manna from heaven. When they had no provision, they were going to need to know him as the quail that would come out of nowhere and feed all the people. They were going to need to know him as their way through their trials, their way through that Red Sea when it seemed impossible. They were going to need to know him to be all sufficient. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that has a need in your life that knows you can't make it on your own. 
and you can't fill that gap in yourself. But let me tell you, Jesus is sufficient to fill it. Jesus is sufficient to fill that hole. He doesn't leave any soul longing and thirsty. Matter of fact, his Bible that he gave us says that all that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Not might be filled, not could be filled, but shall be filled. And let me tell you, if you've got a Jesus-sized hole in your heart this morning, he's the only one that can fill it. Oh, but let me give you the good news. He wants to fill it this morning. He wants to satisfy because you can turn to other things and it'll never fill it. And you'll have to keep pulling them and keep pulling them and keep pulling them because there's nothing that can fill that hole like he can there's nothing that can satisfy like he can and you'll be there the rest of your life searching for other things trying to fill that hole to where Jesus is supposed to be but let me tell you there's deliverance from whatever you're dabbling in this morning there's deliverance from whatever you're trying to fill it in this morning oh and if you'll just look to Jesus like he told this woman at the well he will give you those living waters he will give you those living waters. Just like, how, amen. Tell your neighbor one more time, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Amen. And Jesus was out of place there at the well. But not only was he out of place there at the well, he was out of place here in this world. He was somewhere he didn't belong. He belonged in heaven. He belonged around the presence of God before his glory. But like I said, he didn't take a long way around and try to navigate it. He came in and dealt with sin in a way that only he can. Think about it. He's God and he can choose whatever way he wishes to to deal with sin. He just chose the most infinitely sufficient one. To come and dwell with us as a man, live for 33 years, die, be buried, and raise again on the Thursday. That's how he chose to deal with our sin. What was he doing here? He was coming for me and you. He was coming that whosoever that would believe in him could have that eternal life that he was wanting to bring. He didn't have to do it, but I thank God that he did. Oh, because I'm sure many of you can testify like me. I was nothing but a lowly sinner with a way that I could never pay for my sin. But I thank Jesus that he did it for me. I never could do it. I never would be able to do it. And if you're here today and you're struggling with that, you're struggling with really just letting go and letting Jesus be all that he really is and all that he really came to be for you. Just let go of everything and trust in what he did. You can't do it this morning, friend, but God can. Amen. You can't do it this morning, friend, but God can. You can try as much as you want, as hard as you can, but you're going to get to a point when you're tired, you're weary, and you're worn out, and the only thing left for you to do is going to be to call on Jesus. Call on that name and say, Jesus, I'm done running. Jesus, I'm done looking for other things. I'm ready now to accept your free gift that couldn't come to me any other way. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. There's many people in the Bible that were out of place, that shouldn't have been there. Amen. One that I'm reminded of is the prophet Jonah. And the prophet Jonah, he was somewhere in a city where he shouldn't be. But before he got to that city, he was in the belly of the whale where he shouldn't be. But before he got there, he was on a ship where he shouldn't have been. But before he got on that ship, he was in a place called Joppa when he shouldn't have been. And if you read, read your Bible in the book of Jonah, it says he went down to Joppa. After the Lord told him, gave him the message to go and preach to Nineveh. And it wasn't a very hard message at all. 
The only thing God wanted him to say was, yet 40 days and this city shall be destroyed. But he didn't want to go give it to him. He was prejudiced and he had hate in his heart for the people of Nineveh because they had came in and they had done horrible things to their women and children. They killed their men, brought them into captivity, made slaves out of them. And he did not like them at all. And he did not want to take them that message. And so rather than running towards what God wanted him to do, he chose to run the other way. And he made that first step and went down to Joppa. And then the Bible says he went down into the ship and then down into the belly of the ship and then down into the belly of the whale, down into the bottom of the sea. And when you turn away from the presence of God, and you turn away from his will, and you turn away from his plan and what he wants you to do, there's only one way to go, friend. And it's not up. It's down, 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 down. But Jonah didn't start out in the belly of the whale where God could finally get him to a place where he wanted to talk to him. The first place he went was down to Joppa to see where he could get away from God and what kind of places he could, what, what other places he could go besides Nineveh. The first step that you take, down to Joppa. And I'm wondering if I can't preach to anybody here this morning that maybe in your heart you're not in some kind of gross sin. That's not what I'm calling out this morning. But in your heart and in your mind, you've turned away to look to other things. And you've made that first step away from the presence of God. You've went down to Joppa. And if I could stop anybody before they get there this morning and tell you there's nowhere to go but down. That, that road does not lead you into the presence of God. It does not lead you into his will. It does not lead you into his plan. It only leads you farther away and farther away and farther away. But it starts with just that first step. When you go down to Joppa, if I can refer to it like that this morning. And it can be anything. It can be simple as a text message on your phone, as a phone call, going to meet a friend, whatever it may be. But you make that first step. There's only one place that you can go. But what are you doing there? That's not where God's called you to be. If you find yourself right now, just know that you are illegal under the blood of Jesus if you're right there. If you've been blood-bought and born again, there's only one place that you only really belong, and that's in the presence of God. That's in the presence of the one that saved you. Amen. Can I get an amen this morning? And so Jonah, after he goes down there and he's in that belly of the whale and God's talking to him, he finally has a change of heart. And that's when that whale spit him up on dry ground. And he went to the people of Nineveh and gave him just the message that he wanted, that God wanted him to give him. And he told him exactly that. Yet 40 days and this city, excuse me, yet 40 days and this city shall be destroyed. But we learn later on in the text, exactly why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Because he said, God, I know you are a God that's rich in mercy. I know you're a God that loves to forgive. And I knew if I went there to Nineveh and told them what you told me, I knew it was only because you didn't really want to do it. I know it was because you were wanting to warn them. And anytime you repent, child of God, 
God always comes in and wraps them in his, mercy, in, your, in his mercy and in his grace. And that's exactly what the people of Nineveh did. As soon as they heard the word of the Lord, they began mourning. They began fasting in sackcloth and ashes that God would change his mind, that God would repent of the judgment that he said that he was going to bring. And you know what? He did exactly that. And that's exactly why Jonah didn't want to, want to go. Let me tell you, God's rich in mercy this morning. He's rich in love this morning. You don't have to be afraid from the presence of God. You don't have to be afraid when he comes and puts his finger on something in your life. God does not come to beat you over the head. God does not come to condemn you. When he deals with sin in your life, when he deals with things that should not be there, it's only to bring you up higher. It's not to beat you down and make you feel less of yourself. It's only to bring you up and stand to stand on a plane with him where you should be. Where you should be. You don't belong there this morning. You don't belong there this morning. You belong with your Savior. You belong in His presence this morning. Amen. But I got to thinking, as Jonah was in a place where they thought he shouldn't have been, I wonder if those people of Nineveh, before he even spoke a word, might have already knew why he was there. Because think about it. He's a Jew showing up in Nineveh. What in the world is a Jew doing in Nineveh? I can imagine in their minds they were thinking, don't they know what we do to them? Don't they know how we've killed them? We've waged war on them. We've taken their women and their children. We've made slaves out of them. Don't they realize what is a Jew doing here? And I wonder if even before that he even spoke a word, they knew maybe he's been sent by their God. Maybe he's been sent by their God to show us mercy and show us grace. As we see, that's exactly what they did. Amen. And one other thing is I'm, I'm getting ready to close. If Sister Michaela, you can come to the piano this morning. Amen. There's another story in the Bible of somewhere where somebody didn't belong. And in the school of ministry, Brother Atkins usually teaches us a class about almost. And he uses the story of Jacob when he almost went back to where God called him to. He told Jacob, he said, go back to the land of your fathers. And so Jacob packed up everything that he had, and he went to go back to Bethel, back to the land of his fathers. But he stopped just a few miles short in the land of Shechem. He stopped right there, and he bought some ground, and he started raising his family right there. But it wasn't too long, just like Jonah, when you're out of the will of God, you're susceptible for the attack of the enemy and what he wants to do in your life. And as he's in Shechem, the men of the next city over come in and they defile his daughter. They come in and defile his daughter. And his, his sons, Simeon and Levi, got so angry of what, they did to, of what they did to his sister. They came in and they killed every man in that city. Because Jacob went almost to where God wanted him to. He was almost there. He was so close to the presence of God. Maybe you could even feel it. Like we come in here and we feel the spirit moving on us. But there's some things in our lives that we haven't completely surrendered. And it's almost. You can almost experience it. You can almost feel it. But you're not quite there yet. And you're still susceptible for what the enemy's trying to do in your life. And as we look at this land of Shechem and trace it through the Bible, we see that it appears again and again. And we see that the people there have the same problem. That their forefather Jacob did. Because the next time we see this land in the Bible, this land of Shechem, it's when Joshua has called all the children of Israel together. And he's saying to them, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
No more of this almost business. God's delivered us out of the wilderness. He's delivered us out of Egypt and brought us into the land of promise to, in a land flowing with milk and honey. We're not going to make the same mistake that they did. We're not going to turn and serve other gods. We're not going to go almost like they did. We're going to get it all out. It's either going to be all God or all of nothing. And I wonder if there's some people here in this service that can make that decision that I'm not going to allow anything to take the place of the presence of God in my life. I'm not going to let anything dictate how I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going all out. I'm going all in. I'm not going almost. Because that's something that a king in the New Testament told the Apostle Paul when he was trying to persuade him over to be a Christian. He said, almost you persuade me to be a, to be a Christian. And there are no there are no worse words to swing out in eternity on than almost. Than almost is not only you swing out lost, but you swing out with the knowledge that you are so close. That you are so close. And it only takes a little bit. It only takes the smallest fraction to be almost. Like if I'm walking to this piano, I can step here and be almost. But I can also step here and be almost. And step here and be almost. And even step right here and be almost. But not be really where God's desiring me to be. That land of almost. There's no heritage there. There's no fruit there. There's no future there in that land. And the last place that we see that land in the Bible is right here in John chapter 4. When Jesus is talking to this woman at the well. And he begins to say things to her. Like if you drink of this well. This well that your forefather Jacob dug. This well of almost. This well that doesn't satisfy. This well that can never heal. This well that can never be enough. If you drink of this well, you're going to thirst again. It cannot satisfy you. It's impossible for those waters to satisfy you. But he reaches his arms of compassion out to her and said, But if you would just ask me for living water. If you would just ask me for living water, you'll never thirst again. You'll never be searching again. You'll never be left dry and desolate again. You'll always have a future. You'll always have a hope. You'll always have a savior. But it's not in that well. It's in the well that Jesus provides. It's in the water that he provides. If you can only sample of them this morning, if you could only drink of them this morning, you'll find that they are satisfying in a way that those could never could. I heard one person say it like this. This woman was standing next to a well and a hole in the ground. <laughs> she was standing next to the well that is the Son of God, the well of grace, standing next to a hole in the ground, a well that they draw water from. And let me tell you, you can be satisfied in Jesus this morning. He will satisfy you this morning. I wonder if we could all stand to our feet this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Move, Holy Ghost. Move, Holy Ghost. We need you in this service right now. Amen. I wonder if there's anybody here in this service that you haven't tasted of those living waters before. You've never experienced that level of forgiveness. You've never experienced that level of grace. 
But while I've been talking to you and the Spirit's been moving and the Spirit's been dealing with your heart, you realize your need for it. And you realize that there is no other way but to have that living water. If you're here this morning, I don't want to miss an opportunity for a soul to get saved. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. You've never put your trust in him. You've never believed in the sacrifice that he made for you. I wonder if you couldn't just slip out of your seat right now and come down to this altar. And come down to this altar. We want to pray with you this morning. It's nothing to be embarrassed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of shamed of. Every blood-bought, born-again Christian in this room has had to make that same choice before. And we're going to rejoice with you just like all of heaven is going to rejoice that a soul's been saved and a soul's been delivered. I'll give you one more opportunity. I wonder if you could slip slip out of that seat right now. You could slip out of that seat right now and come down to this altar and taste of that living water this morning. Amen, amen. We'll move on. But I wonder if there's any other, any Christians here this morning that say, I've been satisfying myself with things I ought not to. I'm not saying it's any kind of gross sin that's really, that's really awful that you'd be embarrassed of. It might just be simply something like spending too much time on your phone or spending too much time with people more than you spend t- time with God. And while I've been preaching and the Holy Ghost has been speaking to your hearts, you say, I need that living water again. I've been drawing some from that well that I ought not be drawing from. Some of them waters that could never satisfy me. But I want to get it right. And I want to get it under the blood right now. I wonder if you could slip out of your seat right now and say, God, I'm not going to keep drinking there. I'm not going to keep filling myself with things that don't really satisfy me. But I'm going to fill it with you. And what you can. Amen. Amen. I wonder if the rest of us, if this is all right, Pastor, if y'all have still come to the altars. I know there's COVID and and things to be aware of, and I want you to do what you're comfortable with. I wonder if we all couldn't come this morning and find a place to pray and let Jesus satisfy us once again. And let Jesus satisfy us once again. Because when we move towards him, I know the Holy Spirit's about to move in here right now. Is about to move for you and move on your behalf and there's nothing else there's nothing better than we can do this morning than get in the presence of God amen that's it can we come all over the house and let Jesus satisfy us this morning